Okay, so I'm not someone who heavily buys into health fads, but I do I do dabble. Um, I enjoy looking at lists of superfoods and trying to fit them into my diet. I like trying out kind of different weird supplements for my health. Uh, I'm using one at the moment, in fact, uh, please don't laugh at me, uh, which is called Glow Inner Beauty Essential. Uh, it tastes nice, at least, even if it's doing nothing. I've also been very influenced by all the people I've seen stand up paddleboarding and kayaking during lockdown. I'm hoping I can rent a paddleboard uh, one weekend soon. But the health and wellness industry is hugely powerful in trying to persuade us that eating well and exercise are the key to, the, to a flourishing life. And there are lots of other suggestions out there as well for how we can flourish. Uh, maybe the flourishing life is found in financial security and investments. Or perhaps flourishing comes from having a close, loving family. Or maybe we truly flourish in life when we love our work, or maintain a hobby, or focus on helping others. And in this current lockdown, it seems like an even more important question to answer. In an unsafe world... How do we flourish? When our freedoms are so seriously curtailed, our income is under threat, good health is no guarantee, and we can't see many of our nearest and dearest. How can we flourish in such a world? Of course, for some of us, it hasn't taken a global pandemic to teach us that the world is unsafe. I know there are those in our church who have lived through years and decades of hardship. Perhaps talking about flourishing when you're just struggling to survive sounds a bit offensive. But flourishing is also a profoundly biblical concept. God's intention for his creation is that it flourishes. You might have heard the Hebrew word shalom before. Uh, it means peace. But not just the end of hostility like world peace. Shalom in the Bible is much bigger than this. God created a world of shalom, a world of flourishing and wholeness with all things, all creatures perfectly joined together in justice, fulfillment and delight with one another and with God. The reason we long so desperately for flourishing is because that's the way things ought to be. But humanity tore the shalom apart when we turned away from God's good plans. Our sin introduced chaos and destruction and withering where there was flourishing. God is still at work to bring all creation back into this state of shalom, which he's done through Jesus' life, death and resurrection, and which he'll complete at Jesus' return. So God's intention for his people is that we flourish here and now, not just in the future when Christ comes back. And this flourishing is a reality of joy and wholeness with God at the centre. So how do we experience this life of flourishing in an unsafe world? Well, we're going to turn to Psalm 16 to see what God says about the flourishing life. Uh, Psalms is often called the hymn book of Israel, a book that contains songs of praise and thanksgiving to God, but also songs of lament, of questioning and even cursing against God's enemies. 
The book of Psalms gives words to us as God's people for all the experiences of life. We're invited to adopt these words, to speak them as our own and live them out. Psalm 16 is a poem or song addressed to God and his people. And although the psalm ends with joy, it doesn't start that way. The person who wrote Psalm 16 has experienced a lack of safety. This psalmist might have been the great poet King David, or they might have been someone else dedicating this psalm to David. Either way, this is the song of a faithful disciple who calls out to God for safety and finds refuge in him. In the face of imminent danger, possibly to their life, in verse 1, the psalmist says, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. The world is an unsafe place, and it can be particularly unsafe for those who trust Jesus. Just ask the church in Afghanistan, our brothers and sisters who live in fear for their lives, threatened and hunted by the Taliban. But more than just struggling to survive in an unsafe world, this psalm claims that we can flourish, that we can experience the joy of life with God. Well, I've got a simple structure to help us think through Psalm 16. Uh, firstly, the psalmist warns us to avoid the withering life. And then the psalmist invites us to share in the flourishing life. So verses 2 to 4, the psalmist warns us to avoid the withering life. So uh, bear with me as I get a bit technical for a second. But the meaning of these verses is, is argued about by scholars. Uh, but more recently, the majority are leaning towards a meaning that's a bit different to the NIV translation we've been looking at. Uh, this has just happened as we've gained more information about these ancient sources. So I'm not in any way encouraging us to start distrusting our Bibles uh, because most parts of the Bible don't have this level of disagreement about them. And how we translate these few verses in no way impacts on our picture of God or our assurance of salvation. It's, it's really a literary issue more than anything. So taking this into account, I think it's more convincing that verses 2 to 3 are actually the psalmist quoting someone else's words. Uh, let me offer this translation that someone with a lot of knowledge of ancient Hebrew has come up with. After stating their own faith in God in verse 1, when they said, Keep me safe, my God, in you I take refuge. Uh, the psalmist then quotes an unfaithful person. You say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. But you also say to the holy ones who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. This person who the psalmist quotes is covering all their options. First, they say to God that he is the only source of good. And then in the next breath, they say the same thing to the holy ones in the land, that is to the false gods of the original inhabitants of the land of Israel, idols made of stone and wood. You see, the psalmist's allegiance is to God alone, but this other person is a hypocrite. They, they claim to worship only the Lord, but they're actually also worshipping other gods. Uh, my favourite movie when I was 12 was The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. So it's a terrible movie. The story is very predictable. Uh, but an ancient Egyptian 
a tomb is opened and this resurrects a zombie mummy and then this mummy goes on a rampage trying to take over the world. Uh, in one scene, he confronts his next victim and as this man retreats in horror before the mummy, uh, he grabs a bunch of pendants around his neck and first holds out a cross pendant to try and ward off the mummy, reciting a bit of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. But as the mummy keeps advancing, he drops that pendant and holds out another religious symbol. And then he tries another one. Unfortunately, none of them work in fending off the mummy. Well, that's a little like what's happening here in Psalm 16. The psalmist looks at these other people and sees their hypocrisy. Although they claim to trust in the Lord, they also pledge allegiance to false gods. And verse 4 spells it out. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. This is what the withering life looks like. It's a misdirected life, trusting in the wrong things, pledging allegiance to the wrong gods. And this kind of life results in misplaced anxiety and sorrow. We can be hypocritical like this. Uh, while we might worship God, we can also worship something else alongside God. In Sydney in 2021, that doesn't usually look like pouring out offerings in front of a stone statue. Instead, we bow down to our own reasoning and experience as equal to or more important than God's wisdom. We try to cover all our bases listening with half an ear to God's word in the Bible, but also wanting to make decisions based on what seems best to us, what we think will lead to flourishing. But this kind of split loyalty actually leads to withering. In contrast, the psalmist declares that they won't follow this misdirected life, but will remain faithful to God alone. And this leads to the second part of the psalm, in which the psalmist invites us to share in the flourishing life. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. We get this repetition of the same idea in different words. The psalmist says to God, you are my portion, my cup, my lot, my boundary, my inheritance. God, you are my all. The flourishing life comes from allegiance to God alone. The psalmist has committed themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. He's the one who encompasses their life and directs their path. With the words portion and cup, we get a picture of the abundance of God's gifts. God's goodness to us is like a cup overflowing. Having a well-brewed cup of tea with a dear friend from a large teapot that never seems to run out of tea. Or enjoying a roast dinner and the host offering you the largest portion of the most delectable part of the meat. The Lord overwhelms the psalmist. And as we meditate on these verses, we're overwhelmed as well by his generosity, his kindness and holiness and glory. Verse 6 uses the metaphor of beautiful, fertile land to express the abundance 
of God's blessing. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. By looking to God, by listening to his voice, we can have a bountiful experience of life, even in an unsafe world. The flourishing life is an abundant life. Well, verses 7 and 8 build on this same commitment to God. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. The psalmist rests secure because they rely on God. They're guided through life by the words of scripture. And as the psalmist declares that they keep their eyes on God, always obeying him, we're invited to declare the same thing. And so when danger comes, we don't have to be shaken. But, of course, we often have our eyes fixed on other things, on our ambitions, our happiness, our survival, and we can let God drift out of our vision. And so when our safety ends up being threatened or destroyed, our foundations crumble. We're shaken to the core. But the one who keeps their eyes always on the Lord, this psalm promises that that person will never stumble or be shaken. Even if everything else is taken away, we're protected by God's presence. That's what separates the flourishing life from the withering life. The one who runs after other gods will increase their anxiety and sorrow because they're trusting in the wrong things. But if we pursue God, we will never be shaken. And so the psalmist can sing with joy and celebration in verses 9 and 10. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Their whole being, their heart, their tongue, their body, all unite to give praise to the Lord. Even in the face of death, the psalmist proclaims their confidence that even then, God will not abandon them. And then in verse 11, a final joyous recognition of God's goodness. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is a flourishing life, bountiful, secure, joyful, a life lived in God's presence. This flourishing life is the life that God intends for all his people. It involves a life of following his word, trusting him wholeheartedly and experiencing the blessing of his presence. And my prayer is that as we grow in maturity as God's children, each of us will experience this trust and blessing more frequently in our lives. But none of us trust God like this all the time, do we? If we're feeling particularly hopeless, this psalm sounds about as unachievable as having a flourishing life from taking beauty supplements or paddleboarding. None of us trust God like this all the time. And the world is unsafe. We are shaken by the events in our lives. Well, the New Testament's use of this psalm can help us. In the book of Acts, 
uh, from the chapter we read earlier, the Apostle Peter refers to Psalm 16 and applies it to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can truthfully say, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Even though Christ was perfectly faithful to his Father, he experienced the full unsafety of the world. While the psalmist was on the brink of death, Jesus was actually killed. But his body didn't see decay because there wasn't time. God raised Jesus to life and Jesus' victory over sin and death is also ours if we rest in him. In Christ, under his protection, empowered by his spirit, we can experience the abundance, the security and the joy of a flourishing life. A truly flourishing life with God at our right hand. Even when we go through suffering, anxiety, disappointment and grief, we can flourish because we know the one who will end suffering and who has defeated death. By God's grace, we can follow the path that leads to full life now and delight in his presence forever. We're a people whose eyes are fixed on the future and that gives us more hope, more joy for this life. It also makes us more useful, not less, because we can work for God's kingdom to come here, although we know it won't come fully until Christ's return. In an unsafe world, Psalm 16 invites us to come to Jesus for abundance, security and joy in his presence now and forever. Uh, as I've been meditating on Psalm 16, I have written a poem in response so I thought I'd share it with you, maybe as a prompt, if you'd like to write your own poem, maybe if you want to write something better, because it's not great, uh, or perhaps do something else creative in response to God's word. My lot, my inheritance, my cup, my portion, bounded by him whose blood I was bought with. His cover holds firm, a light in the dark, preserve me and guard me my safe place thou art. One double-minded, as too often I am, trusts in their reasoning, pursues their own plans. I want to be faithful, single-focused on you, and then I'm unstuck by traffic, a bad mood. How do I flourish? Is it what I achieve? Education, a family, long life and ease. Our saviour never married, no higher degree barely survived 30, died in humility. But his faith in the Father meant that he thrived. Death could not douse the source of all life. In him we're secured, abundantly blessed, rejoicing and singing in the midst of this mess. For our hopes are higher, our eyes long to gaze on the King who is coming that bright future day. As we wait, so we work with trust, self-forgetting, making right what is wrong, his hand on us helping. My portion, my cup, my inheritance, my lot. 
in deep waters clinging to the one solid rock. But he clings to me tighter, gives me full life, invites me to join in his joy, his delight.